Hello, welcome to the Inspiranto Education Podcast, where we discuss different topics pertaining to education and career goals, including interviews of different people and discussions about different events occurring in the world today. My name is Ada Sangwa. I am one of the co-founders and co-presidents of Inspiranto Education. I am 16 years old and am a rising junior from Limburg High School. I have a strong passion for business, computer science, and design. I am a part of Limburg's Business Club DECA, and I am also a part of the Limburg Water Polo team as well. I enjoy giving back to my community, as I help, help start multiple nonprofits, and I also volunteer through Boy Scouts as well. My name is Arnim Dixon. I am one of the co-founders and co-presidents of Esperante Education. I am a 16-year-old rising junior at Limburg High School. I have a deep passion for computer science as I hope to pursue my future studies in that field. I'm an active member of the Limburg Varsity Lincoln Douglas team and the Limburg FTC Robotics team. I am keen on giving back to my community as I've given rise to multiple nonprofit organizations oriented around helping the community around me. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Inspirante podcast. Today we have two special guests with us. Our first guest is one of the co-founders of Inspirante Education, Rashad Pandey. Rashab is a rising junior out of Limburg High School, and he participates in the Limburg Deca Club, and he is also a captain of the Limburg Water Polo Team. Our second guest is a good friend of ours, Michael Florup. Michael is a rising junior out of Limburg High School. Uh, recently, Michael started a nonprofit with me called LearnPlex Education, and he also participates in the Limburg Deca Club and the Limburg Engineering Club, along with being a CCS swimmer for the Limburg Varsity Swim Team. Welcome, you too. Good to be here. And today we're going to discuss the advantages and disadvantages of the SAT and the ACT. So there we have it. All right. So which one of us are taking which test? I'm taking the ACT. What are you guys taking? Uh, I'm taking the SAT. Rashad? I'm also taking the SAT. Michael for ACT might do SAT as well. All right. So when it, let's go section by section starting off. So let's start off with one of the, like, the most like most well-known, like the most like common section that it's like everyone studies for the math section. That's like the biggest section in the test for both of them. What are your takes on the ACT versus SAT math? Which one do you guys prefer? As far as I noticed, the SAT math can be a little less complicated than the ACT math because I've taken both exams and I I see that the ACT math problems are slightly a little more complicated. In what aspect, though? Because I feel like the I disagree with you. I think that the SAT math questions are more vague, and that the ACT math questions are more straightforward when they're when they give it to you. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at just uh, you know the overall way the tests are taken, right? On each SAT, uh, on the ACT math, right? Um, you have one section for math, and you're allowed a calculator. Um, whereas on the SAT math, right, you have two sections: one's no calculator, one's calculator. And obviously, if you are given a calculator, um, you're expected to be able to solve harder problems. And, you know, kind of because of this, the ACT math section tends to be a little harder than the two uh, SAT math sections. And along with the timing, right, um, generally on the SAT, uh, you have typically 75 uh, seconds per question for the no calculator and 87 seconds uh, per question on the calculator, whereas on the ACT, you only have 60 seconds per question, and you're still given a calculator. So I think that, like, numerically and with the time given, um, ACT math is better than the ACT math. Okay, well, if you, if you break down the sections, like, 
both the SAT and the ACT, they include things like arithmetic and then like algebra one, algebra two, and like geometry and trig. But like the um, SAT has um, some problem solving and data analysis. So like more questions you have to think about, I guess, deeper. And the ACT has things like, um, uh, like data analysis, that kind of thing. And something else that's like, not one of the biggest impacts on your score, but the SAT provides you with some formulas, but the ACT doesn't. So like, even though that, even though some of the questions may be harder, maybe the ACT has some hard questions, so does the SAT. But like, I guess after the amount of time that you spend in the test, the fact that you have to do math twice in the SAT makes it a little harder because your brain has to be thinking as opposed to like ACT where you do math once and then you're done. Yeah, I agree with that. Going back to what Rishabh said before, uh, he said that the ACT is harder because there are calculators. A uh, point in rebuttal is that, is that ACT was originally designed to not be, you don't need calculators for the test. Like the ACT was designed that you don't need calculators. It's just an additional point that they add on that helps a, like a good, not that much, but it's just like a helpful thing to have. The large majority of the questions on the ACT can be solved without a calculator, but they just do it for like the rare problems that require like a bunch of calculations. But I think generally, after comparing the two, the um, ACT questions just as a whole, not even math, they're just a little more straightforward than the SAT, which requires a little bit more thinking. But the ACT, um, like subjects of topics, right, that are like covered is much broader than the SAT section, right? So, for example, the ACT um, delves deeper into more ideas that are taken out of your geometry class. And it also goes a little bit deeper into things such as matrices, uh, graphs of trig functions, and logarithms as well, each of which are topics that are not tested on the SAT. I don't know if you were going to say something before. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, you said that there are only like, that we have two topics, right? For or two sections, the no calc and the calc, right? But for the ACT, you have one whole new subject that you have to study for, which is the science section. And that adds on to, you know, the amount of topics that you have to know. So in the long run, right, you you only have like two like big topics, reading and math, which have their own subsets of, you know, right um topics and techniques. But you have this whole new section, this science section, which has its own, you know, techniques or topics that you have to study. So in the long run, there's no real advantage for the ACT math over the STT math, if that makes sense. We have to compare, like, the, the, on the SAT, like, when you have the two sections of math, one has calculator, one doesn't. I mean, generally, like, questions, they vary in difficulty, right? I guess with the calculator, you'd expect harder questions, maybe more complicated, if not harder. But with science, it's not necessarily a science section, which you may know already, but it's more of like a anal anal analytical thing. Like you have to have good critical thinking skills. So you don't really have to know any like science things necessarily. Like usually you just have to know where to look and it's mostly a series of graphs, right? So it's just, it's just you being able to analyze a bunch of data and graphs and being able to just find the pieces that they ask for in the questions. I think there's a science section on the ACT reading and it's like pretty similar like that, but instead of just like one passage, it's multiple passages. Right. And, uh, but also you, um, I think Michael, you made a point that in the SAT math, there's more, you know, problems oriented towards problem solving and data analytics. But, um, again, if that, if, if it's true that, um, 
in the in the ACT science section um, that you have problems that aren't really sciencey and that are more oriented towards how you think, then you were tested on those same concepts still, but just with an, a whole additional concept. So isn't it you know a little more burdensome that you have another topic or another subject that you have to think about? Well, I mean. What I did was I actually, of course, when I started preparing for just testing in general, I started like freshman year and I was going to originally take the SAT. So I was like getting ready for that for about a year or so. But then after a while, I realized that, um, I don't know, just I do things really quickly, right? So the fact that the SAT gives more time, which is great. But for me, the time didn't really affect me because even on the ACT, I would still have an enormous amount of time left over to like the point where it seemed odd so personally i think that learning how to do science is easier than having to go through all the thinking because your brain gets tired after four hours even the tests are like about the same length and time just the amount of thinking that you have to do from like the beginning to the end of each test is a little different and i think the act is a little bit easier on your mind i don't know rishab what do you think about uh the timing for regarding that I mean, generally, right, um, what the SAT, uh, like, kind of lacks, and I guess I agree with Michael as well, whenever I take a test, right, I always find myself with a great deal of time at the end. I mean, it's usually an abnormal amount of time, like, I have, you know, oh, I still have 20 minutes left for the section. And um, with that, that can be good and sometimes bad, right? For people that like to go through and check their answers, it's really good for them. They can keep their score up. But for more faster pace, like, people that think faster, they tend to, like, maybe overthink their answers and change it from like the right one to the wrong one. So it like, it depends and it's more geared towards um, what type of test taker you are. Yeah, um, I think when people are choosing um, to take the SAT or ACT, especially what I did is that I took a diagnostic of the ACT and the SAT and I found that my initial score for the SAT fared much better than my score for the ACT. So I found that it would be less work to, you know, focus on the SAT and improve my score. Then do something where I have a lower uh, initial score. Well, I did, I did something similar. Like when I first took, as you said, like a diagnostic test, my um, SAT score, like in comparison to my ACT, was just like exponentially higher. Like for some reason, I just could not do well on the ACT. But then I feel like it had something to do with my mind because I was like younger, right? I was like an eighth grade, eighth grader going into ninth grade. So I didn't really know how to think about problems. I just took it like I would take any test, not really thinking about the style of the test. I just look at the problem and try to find the answer. But I think it's not that hard to gear your mind to think about the ACT in its like specific way because a lot of the questions, it doesn't require a lot of background knowledge, like especially science, right? Like a lot of people argue that, oh, science is like this whole new thing. It's, it's terrible. I have to study science now instead of like I could have done just reading and uh, math for the SAT. But honestly, uh, the science section is rather similar to like the part of the reading where you just have to go find pieces of text like in the like in the reading or the passage to like support an answer something like that so basically the science section isn't as hard as people may think like yes there's a lot of concepts that you might not even know what they mean and you don't even have to know what they mean just usually it involves finding a term either on a table or a graph and comparing it to another thing and then doing something like some reasoning, like if this is higher and this is, has like a direct relation, then this would also be higher than the other one. So it's, it's simple things like that. 
yeah, the predict the predicament I was in was that when I took both diagnostic tests, I found that I had like very similar scores from both. So I guess like it just comes down to like where you feel like you can like improve the most. Like for me, when when I was looking at the two math and sections, the science section when I did it, it felt pretty similar just to like reading comprehension for me because I was just con- like I didn't like memorize all of the all of the concepts for science. I just like if it said like, like for example, they like asked like a, if they asked like um a question based on a topic, I can go back to the reading section and I can like read through the reading section. I can like find answers. I can like cross out answers that aren't supported by the section. So I found it like I found when I was taking the science section, it was very similar to how I was taking the reading section, and that's something like that didn't bother me. Um, about. if I gave you, I'll just give you guys some like stats about specifically ACT science. So it's it's forty questions in thirty five minutes, which yes, it is less than a minute per question, right? So that seems fast. So usually, I think now recently they changed it from six passages or from seven passages to six. So it used to be seven, but usually there's uh, three kinds of passages. There's like data representation, there's research summaries, and then there's conflicting viewpoints, which is the one with a lot of text and maybe students or scientists having like different results in data, right? But usually there's a, like a good way you can split up each of them. It usually depends on the person, but normally for like data representation and like research summaries, it'd be like maybe five and a half minutes each. And then you take like a longer amount of time for the part with a lot of text, right? You do like for seven minutes, but for science as a whole, you don't need um, outside science knowledge. In importance, like ranked, it would be like, you kind of need to be able to uh, interpret figures and graphs and tables accurately. And then of course you need the mental stamina and speed since ACT is a fast paced test. And then you need general like scientific literacy. Like you just have to, know what the scientific terms mean not necessarily like the definitions and then yeah last you would need maybe some outside science knowledge to back it up but like the passages and things like that for the sat you have to read all of them like if not all of the section you need to like read 90 percent of it to do most of the questions right i think for the uh sat um for reading uh two things are integral the first thing is that um you should really like focus on the paragraphs where, you know, there are questions that refer to lines. For example, if a question says on line 22, right, you'd read the whole paragraph that um, encompassed by line 22. Um, that's one. And number two, what I noticed with reading that isn't really there with ACT reading or, or with science per se, is that the questions go in sequential order of the, um, of the actual passage, right? So I feel like it's a lot easier to, you know, understand how to do the questions and sort of not really guess per se, but have an idea as to where you're, you know, referring to in the passage than it might be for the ACT, which can go here and there and therefore be a little more confusing than the SAT. It's true. The ACT is usually pretty random on questions, but usually you can count on like ACT questions. The wording of the question is generally easier to understand than the SAT. Yeah. So That's kind of like a trade-off. You have to decide which one you want. Like, are you willing to sacrifice that, you know, chronological order is like pretty easy to find things like for um, having like random ordered questions. Cause the SAT is, you have to really understand the passages, right. To find, or at least know in the passage, what supports your claim. Cause they have that, the two question thing where they have, you answer a question, you select an answer. And then the next question is like 
backing up your answer for the previous question. Yeah, yeah. So I find it. Yeah, right. I find those to, questions. Um, you have to decide. Yeah. Do you want that? Because if you get the first question wrong, the second question is also wrong. Usually, right? A good strategy, you know, that I like follow for those questions is that you know I go to the evidence question first, and you know if that corresponds with the answer that makes the most sense to me, I just double in those two answers because. I feel like looking at the essay question first is like, you know, really helpful to find out like what the answer to that previous question is because it's supported. It's true. Because there's only like a few possible choices, right, for the quotes. So that would back up the answer you don't have yet. So I guess you could just go look at the four quotes they give you and decide which one you think is best. Going back to what Arno said, it's like when they give you like, look at this line questions, I feel like a major advantage of the SAT you have is that you have the ability to read over the passage again. For ACT, you read through the passage once. If you go back and read, try to read it through again, unless you're like really fast at reading, you're probably going to lose a lot of time, precious time, that you have to answer other problems. So I feel like that's an advantage of the SAT. You're able to look back and review passages. That's true. You have more time, but see, the thing... And it's especially ACT, simpler because the questions are sequential. Yeah, so... ACT is more about speed and accuracy, not necessarily just speed, because even if you're a fast reader, if you get through the whole ACT set like passage and you don't understand what any of it means, you're going to have a hard time answering the questions, right? So you have to have that, like, that right balance of speed and being able to quickly understand things, maybe one or two times through, like maximum two times through, because there's not enough time to go back and check every single answer unless you do things at a really, really fast pace. Yeah, so I guess instead of talking about the tests now, um, you know, coronavirus is affecting everything. So recently, the uh, UC schools, they, they announced some things about uh, standardized testing. And they said they're going to suspend ACT and SAT requirements until 2024, which is a rather far time away. But what do you guys think about that movement? I mean, it's definitely going to change, you know, the whole college application process, right? Um, because I think it is until 2022, it is test optional, right? Um, which for those of you that don't know, um, you can submit a score, but it won't it, like it can help you in every way if it's a good score. But if it's you know say a below average score, it will not hurt your application at all. And then going from uh, 2022 to 2024, it is uh, you're not allowed to submit a score to the school, and even if you do, it will not be considered in your application um, as an entrance. And, you know, the implications of this really can be uh, really far um, because it shows to students, like, you know, what should they manage their time on from here till, you know, um, senior when you have to apply, right? Do you want to focus on getting a good score that could potentially help you but not as much? Or do you focus on other things such as, like, you know, extracurriculars or getting your um, uh, essays, you know, like on P? So that's the thing, like, we're, we're what? We're basically halfway through high school now, right? So now we have to choose, like, and decide, like, we spent a good chunk of our lives, like maybe two, two to three years, I guess, preparing for these tests, but now they're, they're optional. They don't matter as much, you could say. So do you just take the fact that they're optional and not do it or, and focus on school, or do you continue preparing, like, it would have the same impact as it did before all this? Honestly, a reason I'm not a big fan I'm not a big fan of this, is that because it only pertains to UCs. There are a lot of other schools outside of the UCs that kids all want to get into, Northwestern, Ivies, uh, and, like, and other schools outside of state. It's like 
it's kind of annoying for all these kids because they're like here in California, a lot of students, they end up going to UCs, right? But there's also the kids who is also like, what if I don't want to go to UC? What if I want to go to University of Pittsburgh or something like that? So they have to take the test anyways. It's like they, they still have to take the test anyways, but then they have to, to, say, they have to make the choice. Do they want to focus on a UC and like just focus fully on GPA? Or do they want to focus on like, um, do you want, they want to focus on going out of state and focus on these tests as well? So that's like a reason I'm not a big fan of this. On like a bigger scale, right? The test can, it can only help you, right? From taking it. Um, if you take it, you know, you get your, you know, you'll learn topics that could help you in school. And if you get a good score, you can submit it and it'll be easier for you to get in UC. And what students really, they shouldn't be focusing on UCs only, right? Because just focusing on a UC and not taking the SAT only for that reason is just limiting yourself, right? Taking it and say, um, you know, the UC you go to, right? You do a college visit. You don't like, you know, the overall where the, where the school is and the neighborhood around it. You can always apply for out-of-state. And for those out-of-state ones that do require SAT, you're, you give them your score and maybe you get in, right? So it, like taking the SAT, it, on, it can only help you. There's no negative impact of studying and taking the ACT. I think it's kind of risky not taking the, even though test, even though it's test optional, right? It's still really good to take um, the test, an SAT or ACT, because, you know, if you don't take the SAT or ACT, then they're going to weigh your GPA more and uh, essays more. So, and if you're not really that strong GPA-wise, you might need something to, you know, boost your admissions and boost the chances that you have of getting into good UCs. So I think, like, it's always good to, you know, take um, tests when you have the option. And one more thing, uh, I feel like it's kind of bad that they made it test blind for 23 because that means that for them especially, and especially for, you know, those who might not have the resources to take the SAT and ACT, um, or like those who just don't have as much of a good GPA, um, they'll fare less well in the whole process because they won't have like resources to you know boost their GPA. There there'll be no metric to standardize you know um, individuals' academic achievements, and it'll be kind of you know elitist per se. Yeah, like I guess previously people could, I guess if they had a below average GPA or even just an average one, they could have that. If they got a really good score on the SAT or ACT, that's kind of like their backup plan, right? They're they're betting on like, oh, maybe this will make up for my bad GPA. But for 2023, 2024, they don't really have that option anymore. So now schooling has become basically focused on GPA because right now there's not many extracurricular opportunities except for the online things, right? So school is going to be heavily focused instead of like clubs and doing things, unless, of course, something happens to keep coronavirus away, I guess, but it's, it's going to be focused on a GPA, but also backtracking to like universities. It's really interesting because, you know, all the, all the great uh, Ivy league schools, a lot of them are, are private, private schools, right? So like Cornell university, they just completely suspended their testing requirements. And then uh, Harvard, they said like, you won't be disadvantaged in any way if you don't submit them. And then like Princeton, Princeton and UPenn, they don't even require their students to take the SAT like or subject tests or anything like that, right? So it's really interesting what a lot of these like great universities are doing. But then there's other ones like Dartmouth and Yale and Brown and Stanford. They're still going to require the ACT and the SAT. So I don't know how they decide that, but it seems to me like 
if, if it says optional, you should still take the test just to, you know, make more uh, colleges available for you. I mean, it all, it all depends on how driven the student is. Like, if they're super driven, they want to get into a good Ivy or, like, a good, like, Stanford or something like that, they're still going to continue their high school career as, as they were going to do it before. But if there's, like, a slack who's like, I just want to get into a UC and I'll be fine, it's like they might not think of the, the ACT as, like, something they want to take, which isn't good because I feel like all students should take the ACT anyways because it's always good to have, like, a backup plan if you don't get into, like, the UC or something. And in addition, um, I feel like um, even though colleges are saying that, you know, there's no real disadvantage if you don't take a standardized test, I, think, I feel like the disadvantage is inevitable because, um, you know, I think if you have a student who has, you know, a good GPA, they didn't take the SAT or ACT, good GPA, but, and also good extracurriculars. You have the, another student who has, um, same thing, good GPA, good extracurriculars, and they took the SAT. I think that looks a lot better. And I think admissions officers will agree that it looks a lot better than someone who didn't necessarily take, um, you know, the SAT. I mean, it, it really depends on the student, right? So if, if you just give up and you're like, okay, we don't need the subject test anymore or the SAT or ACT. Let's just focus on GPA, right? But then, then what if you fail, like, or not even fail, just what if you don't do as well as you hope, right? You don't have anything to backtrack on. You don't have, you don't really have a backup plan anymore, especially if you're 2023, 2024. All you have is your GPA, basically, and your extracurriculars. So it just, it's just a lot of pressure at school now, right? So before people could be like, well, I'm just going to have a really good, list of GPAs or a really good list of extracurriculars. I'll be like, uh, I don't know, a really good sports player, stuff like that, have a good SAT. But now it's, it's really banking on the GPA because sports is suspended and a bunch of things are now unavailable to us, right? So it just makes a life a little harder for everyone. I mean, for the 2023 kids who didn't do good as, as they hoped they would in freshman year, and they're not, they're like, even if they're playing sports, sports is suspended, like you said, and they were like hoping their SAT would like like cut off for their, their freshman year. Even though freshman grades aren't like really essential for UCs, they're still like pretty important in general. So I feel like they've like this has put like a lot of pressure onto those students who weren't prepared for what was going to happen. Yeah, basically, twenty twenty three took the biggest hit, right? Because they didn't have any warning. Maybe they thought they could. Uh just not, not try as hard in their freshman year or something like that, right? They, they at least have a cushion, but now they really don't. So 2024, they have this like short warning. They should get ready and start grinding and getting their uh, good GPAs out starting freshman year. But it's true, like 2023 does, does not have, or if they didn't have the greatest start to high school, that'll hurt them later. I mean, this also makes the importance of nonprofits, like people starting stuff on the side. Like you can't like, do extracurriculars because like the only extracurricular that people are able to do now is like volunteering teaching online courses and so it's like that's just like show how important starting your own stuff is now compared to before complex education i think it's important to you know consider the the kind of far future implications of this because starting from 2025 i don't think um you or i, I don't think there'll be any more SAT or ACT at all is that true Oh yeah, they um. So the UC, like the president of that whole thing, Janet Napolitano or whatever, she said, "We are developing a new test that more closely aligns with what we expect incoming students to know to demonstrate their preparedness for UC schools." So that's just for um, UC schools, right? But that at least shows that there's 
there's something new in the works, not the ACT, not the SAT. So that's something else students have to prepare for. And that's not really a long time away, right? So that's something new, something unknown. And that's scary, right? Because the reason why we can prepare so well for the SAT and the ACT, we have all these practice tests, right? We can just knock ourselves out with every single practice test since like 1996 or whatever, right? So now they, they don't really know how to take the test. We, we, of course, a lot of us have like memorized how to take each section, how much time we should spend on each problem, things like that, right? But with this new test, no one's really taken it. So how do you think like that'll affect the kids that have to take this brand new test? I mean, a benefit of that is that we don't know what a good score is for that test yet. Like, of course, everyone's going to be aiming for the 100%. But like, what if like 80% is a good score for that test? Like, we don't really know. So they're just going to be competing with themselves and they don't have like a standard score that's already set before them that they have to achieve. Like for ACT, for ACT, like 34 and above is like where you're in the real conversation. SAT, 15, 50 and above, that's the real conversation. So it's like they don't really have a set score for that stuff before. And also that a test like that is still in development, right? And I think I read on their official statement that it could take anywhere up to seven years, right, to get this test out and given to students. So that kind of shows that, right, in the next, you know, decade, college admissions is going to be an absolute tumble, right? Because we're going in these next four years from test optional to a test blind. And then after that, we still don't know what's to come, right? And maybe by 2027, we have a new test. And of course, along with that, you know, there's going to be the first year, right? It's also going to be a complete mess because people don't know how to take the test. There's no guides, you know. Uh, it's just going to be a complete, like, you know, master come in a couple of decades, and that's going to affect the future um, applicants a lot. Arnold, you want to say something? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I think what uh, many of these students should do is just try to solidify themselves academically, you know, study ahead and do, like, um, necessarily the additional, you know, ahead things that they know they can do. Just study, you know, like algebra, for example, or geometry, or whatever they need to do academically to you know kind of you um if they want to get themselves ahead that's one great way to do that i mean yeah i, I like okay i just just thought about this right but i'm i'm guessing the test that they would come out with wouldn't be like drastically different from the sat and the act like i think their basic goal would be the same like get a good understanding of someone's like thinking skills and how good they are under time and pressure and stuff like that right so I think I don't, of course, I don't know anything about the new test that's in the works, but I think if you probably um, prepared for like the SAT or and the ACT or just those kind of questions and just solidified yourself like all around, right? I'm guessing that would prepare yourself like mostly for the test if that ever like comes out. Honestly, I think they're not, honestly, like what I think is going to happen is they're going to come, come out with a new test. But the first year they're going to have the test, I think they're still going to have the SAT, ACT as an option for the students. Because like all, I think it would be fair to give them like either do the brand new test that we haven't heard of. I think they'll release like a practice test for that. But they should also give the option to do something that you've done before. Because like, like imagine it for the parents, like parents who have like, like uh, children who are 24 and below. Like they've they've probably been like planning on like they might have been preparing their young students. Like three of us have younger siblings who we thought they were gonna take the ACT and SAT, but all of a sudden now we've learned that there there might be a chance they might not take it. So it's like parents have to like find a new study way to for these students, these younger students. I mean that's just their a, younger a, children. The AP test this year, right? Like 
that was that was horrible. Like it was nothing like we've seen before, and a bunch of people were complaining. I didn't have enough time. There were tef- uh, technical difficulties, all that stuff. So most likely that'll be what's going to happen for the first year of the test, unless they do like trial runs behind the scenes, right? So it won't be smooth. Like that's that's my prediction. Whatever it is, it it won't be perfect at least for the first few years. Because I'm sure it even took the SAT and ACT a few years to like develop to what it is today, right? And that's also going to play a factor into the colleges because. Like, I'm just like, I, I don't know what's going to happen if, like, for the students who took the new test versus the old test. Like, what if colleges see that as a negative? So, it's like, you, you never know what's going to happen. Like, what if no one wants to take the test? I, I don't think necessarily um, there is a set plan on what they do after 25. I'm not saying that what they're saying is bluff. I'm just saying that um, they, they, they don't want to use the ICT or ACT for some reason. But I personally don't think that they have any sort of plan right now as to what they should do. I mean, it really depends, right? It's like if, if like coronavirus, just we find a cure or a vaccine or something like that, right? Or if we just successfully be like New Zealand and, I don't know, just eradicate all the uh, coronavirus cases, like that, that would help us because we could like, then we would have the ability to go to these testing centers and whatnot, right? Like, that's the main reason they don't want to like give us the AC, uh, SAT and ACT because they don't really want us to do those tests at home, right? Because a home environment is a hard place to study in, and there's a lot of factors that could affect your score, right? So it just depends on that. I think if yeah, you're right. I don't think they have like a solid plan. I don't think they have like a we're gonna do this in 2025. But I do think that if nothing changes and we stay on the same track we're at right now, like something new will happen. Like regardless of if it's like a faster paced test with less questions like they did with the AP test, or if it's the regular old SAT styled, like long analytical thinking questions. I mean, they're also going to have to do something about the cheating, per- the cheating percentages, like the students. Like AP test, I assume it was easy for students to cheat on that because there was no video call to check in on the students that they were live in front of them. They could have had anyone around them it's like there's like so many factors that the a b test didn't play in just to make sure that no students were cheating, so I feel like they're gonna have to do something about that because that's like a very very big factor, and that can like really scuff the education system if they don't do anything about it. I think they might do that with the s a t s that are coming you know in August and September because there's been a recent spike in covid nineteen cases right, and we have um the s a t coming in August. Um, that's the most recent one. Um, I think what they should definitely consider doing is, you know, doing some, having some similar online option as um, was there with the AC, with the AP exams. Uh, I think that's a definite real possibility that they might even do for the SAT in the coming months. Well, yeah, like there's supposed to be um, ACT tests like in July, like early July, right? But I mean, I'm I'm signed up for that. Like I'm supposed to go, but do I go? Like, is it is it safe? Where like I'm supposed to go to Fremont High School, right? Which which is close to us. But I don't know how like anything about how that whole process is gonna work, or if they're just gonna cancel it like they did to me in June and then make me wait like a longer period of time. So I don't know. It's it's just like it's kind of day by day for everything that requires an in person like I don't know like attendance for. So it's it's. It's really like, it depends on the world, basically. We have 
or us personally, we don't really have control over it, right? So it's, it's hard to predict what's going to happen. Also, quick update for those of you who aren't signed up for ACC like Michael. The ACCs are op- registration are opening soon in early July. So that's just a quick update for any of you who aren't registered yet. I think it's uh, July 30th at some time in the night. Yeah, I'm not sure when it's opening. I just know it's sometime in July. Something like that. So that's happening for uh, the 2020 to 2021 year. So uh, that's like the last year you can basically take it and expect for it to actually count, right? So do that. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Thank you to Rishab and Michael for joining us today. Follow them on Instagram at rapid.rapid underscore and at michael.org. Follow Inspirante as well at Inspirante underscore education. And follow our podcast on Spotify at Inspirante Education. Thank you for listening. See you on our next podcast coming soon.